0: It's funny because I started out feeling like uh, it's kind of like an inferiority complex in a way that, or maybe I was just told that I can't do something for longer than three years because, I mean, honestly, I never held a job more than two years (laughs) up to that point. So I kind of made it my personal goal when I first started doing this clock to at least go past three years <laughs> um, which is kind of funny. but I wanted to make it as long as you know I can make it. And so I'm actually like really surprised that like I've been doing this for 10 years. Um, you know it's just like, yay, me, like a good <laughs> good job. Welcome
1: to Hello Atelier. My name is Betsy Blodgett, and with me is producer Jonathan Getz. One of the reasons Jonathan and I started this podcast was because we wanted to create a business that lets us work on our own terms.
2: We both feel restlessness when only working for other people.
1: Yep. And over the years, I've realized that I'm much happier and much more productive if I have the freedom to focus on what I really enjoy doing while setting my own work-from-home hours which often means a nap in the afternoon.
2: <laughs> Aside from the nap, I agree. Today's guest, Maiko Kuzanishi, is the designer behind the brand Decoy Lab. She seems to have the same mindset that we do, though her goal has less to do with naps and more to do with spending time with her daughter.
1: It's funny how she got to this point, because Decoy Lab started as an accident, in a way. Maiko had been selling screen prints and created one of a cuckoo clock. On a lark, she turned that image into an actual working clock, which took off on her Etsy site. Since then, she's turned her focus almost entirely to sustainable hand-built bamboo clocks and whimsical designs.
2: Fawns, hedgehogs, and even pots of flowers, all terribly cute. One of my biggest takeaways from this episode is Maiko's focus on being present, not only in the life of her daughter, but also during even the most mundane tasks. I also strive for stillness in this age of Twitter notifications. It's admirable.
1: I agree. It's an inspiration to hear from a busy entrepreneur and mom who can take a minute to focus on the present, even in the face of relentless knockoff artists selling her designs. From fulfilling land of nod orders to issuing cease and desist orders, she seems to take it all in stride.
2: Well, I think we should cease to resist the rolling of the tape.
0: I was originally born in Japan, Osaka, which is a uh, western part of Japan. It's kind of like different, like uh, California and New York, like the culture is different, you know, so Osaka is very different than Tokyo area which is the eastern part of japan i'm like really proud of my osaka heritage (laughs) but i i was born there and i grew up uh in nara also which is a prefecture right east of osaka and they have this Todaiji, which is like a wooden structure i think biggest uh wooden architecture that housed the the buddha inside and so i grew up you know, going there. I mean, it was really, really beautiful place. And then there's like deer just roaming around in the park because it's like a national park. And when I was 12, it was my father's business. He worked for Panasonic. And so we got transferred to the office in New Jersey. And then moved to Texas, he got transferred again. In Texas, they had this commercial art class and it's a vocational training course that I got in and I started taking the class and I was kind of surprised that it was actually pretty serious. It's kind of like commercial art is like the the pre-graphic design, like pre-computer, you know, like the old school advertising kind of, you know, my professor, um, he made us actually draw 100 thumbnails for a logo. And then we had to revise it down to five or something. And then we had to create like the final logo. And it was just like, really disciplined, tough class, but I really like dug it. And then that's kind of like where I discovered, oh, like I'm actually pretty good at this. I had like no interest really in art or anything like that until then. Glance
1: through the women's interest section in any magazine rack and you will be bombarded by different variations of the same thing. How to have it all, motherhood and career? Obviously, there isn't a one-size-fits-all answer to this tricky question. But for Maiko, the answer lies in creating a business that works around her life. However, even with the best intentions of balance, one can overpower the other.
0: 2007, I got pregnant with Leela. Really, it's... At the same, exact same time, almost, that uh, she came about and then my business started taking off. So I had like two babies. I always thought, you know, I was like trying to grow these two babies together. Um And it was tough. But I mean, it, it's kind of confusing, you know, it's kind of because when you have a kid, you were in kind of swirl of emotions, like all spectrums. There's the worry and there's the joy <laughs> and everything in between. And then you're doing this business, but like really, I think that what helped me is the the idea that I had of having the flexibility to be around Leela. and oh, I just wanted to like to stay home. And wanted this business to work out so bad so that I can spend more time with her. Uh, which didn't quite work out that way <laughs> because the business got busy. You know, I was like soon enough, <laughs> like putting Leela into daycare. And so I can like get my orders and, and things like that down. So it's just like this been, it's been these like balancing act of... Going back and forth between, like, putting your, you know, energy back into, you know, raising your kid or spending time and being present and also growing business.
1: Running a business can be fun and exciting. It can be stressful. It can also be, well, boring. For every new design you giddily create, there is an email or several dozen emails to write. Maiko's business is no different, but she's found a way to create an essential byproduct during production. Through her practice of non-duality, she focuses on stillness and being in the present, even as her hands are busy assembling
0: her clocks. In a sense that I think keeping it fun is really sometimes, uh, when you start looking at it like a business... And, you know, if you do it for, like, anything for 10 years, I think sometimes it, it can get, mun- like, mundane and dull in some moments. But that's when you kind of have to step back and then find something that's exciting again and then approaching it, you know, differently again. Whenever I get, like, clock hands... They have, uh, thin protective sheets that you have to film, that you have to peel. There are like lots of peeling that you have to do on everything. And then you lay them out like all hundreds of, you know, pieces onto boards and then you spray paint them. So everything is very repetitive, repetitive motion. Had a time when I listened to non-duality teachings. It's kind of like a meditation kind of practice that that I do. So I spend a lot of time um, practicing that while I work because a lot of it is repetitive work. And you can get into that sort of nice meditative state or... It could just be a boring task. You know what I'm saying? So I use a sort of quiet time really to my advantage to um, expand my own awareness in a way. And so I get in, in my sort of center and kind of practice being still. And I guess I can't never completely get sick of it because when you're kind of in that stillness I mean it's it's really no bother you know I mean you can create peace which I really I really like and I I kind of look at it like that sort of practice and cultivating awareness Mm -hmm. (laughs) so it's a win-win it's like It's my hidden practice. (laughs) It's like clock clock business is just a facade. (laughs) But I mean the meditation practice. (laughs) While there is no
1: question that the internet has been a game changer for independent designers to share and sell their work, they are not immune to the big web bugaboo. Pirates. In this case, design theft. Countless designers have had their ideas, their blood and sweat, thrifted and used by even top-line stores. Mayiko has found her designs for sale on giant international marketplaces like Alibaba. As a result, she has spent a large amount of time and money trying to protect her ideas.
0: Intellectual property issues, infringement cases have been going around for a long time. It's kind of like one of those like whack-a-mole game that even if you whack one, there's another that pops up. It's not really that difficult, I think, to come up with your own designs. It doesn't have to be just a copy to make a bunch of replicas I do have issues with that and um, I had many many cases of foreign countries factories I think taking advantage of it because they saw it online and then just taking the the image and then just create it and making it available and, and sell on Alibaba or places like that I had several Etsy sellers who sold the exact replicas of my designs, which I, you know, when it's on Etsy, um, I contact them and um, ask them to remove the items. It's really funny, like, what they say. One last girl that I talked to actually said, well, I saw saw this design on Alibaba. (laughs) And then I'm like, you just admitted that you copied it from Alibaba. So which is which means that it's not your design. And I'm telling you that I have the original file. I created it, you know. So it's like, please take it down. And and she did. But I mean it still hurts. Every time I see it it hurts. And so I actually try not to pay attention to it so much anymore. I mean, I see them if it becomes an issue, like, or if it's kind of a jurisdiction where copyright laws uh, apply, then I would contact that seller and then send the cease and desist letter to them. But otherwise, if it's international, they can get away with it. It's just, that's, it's just really disheartening. But, that's the reality of it. Like the, the Kmart Australia selling the, the phone clock for $5, which is just like, it's kind of unbelievable and amazing. And I was actually a little bit impressed. <laughs> But I didn't see, like, you know, there was, like, no money that I got out of it. I mean, I I involved a lawyer. And then uh, only to find out that I had to hire counsels in Australia to pursue the legal, um, like, a proper legal um, filing. And that was going to be, you know, big expense on my end and big, you know, time-consuming thing, too. So... Yeah, I just kind of had to drop it altogether and just lick the wounds and move on. It does hurt, you know, it really does. I mean, you can't make something for five bucks like in United States. I mean, that's the thing with the small businesses. I think what consumers or customers don't realize is that um, we do pay higher cost for everything. And so when they are purchasing items from like small makers, they're not only supporting that maker, but all the suppliers of those makers because all the mom and pop shops that I work with and the laser cutter guys that I work with I'm, I'm paying everybody. So it's not like all the money that I get, it comes to me. It's supporting and it's linked to all the other, you know, small businesses, too. We visited
1: Maiko in her studio, a spacious room in the basement of her house. The tidy space held shelves of clock forms, baskets of tiny hedgehogs and drawers of clock hands. While it was a substantial workspace, it was also obviously a one-woman production. This was somewhat of a surprise. From the consumer's viewpoint, Decoy Lab could seem like a much larger operation. After all, Maiko and Decoy Lab have been featured in magazines such as Elle, Lucky, and Wired. She also has a partnership with the Land of Nod. It turns out, however, that Maiko isn't looking to step into mass production. Instead, she scales her business for personal fulfillment.
0: Well, I think that you have to define what success is, almost kind of like setting a goal and then revisiting and then revising um, all the time. Like you have to be in check, you know, with where you're going and then ask yourself whether what you're doing is actually Giving the results that you want, and I don't necessarily think that my definition of success is not definitely not everybody's gonna have to <laughs> have my product. Uh, it's never the mass production. It's really more, much more personal, smaller scale. I do want to feel good making whatever that I'm making for one and for that to sustain my life so I can keep doing what I love doing. And that allows me more time to spend with my daughter. Yeah, I can't really like define it by the amount of money, or, you know, the number of sales, or, I mean, those things seem very relevant to me. I think it's, it's more of that fulfillment is kind of what I try to achieve with, with what I'm, I do. So, you know, sometimes that means that, you know, I might step out of doing clocks. Sometimes I just, kind of go off and, and do different things. I mean, it's it's a constant defining and, and experimenting and searching, you know, like what, what fulfills me. Because, I mean, we change over time, especially.
1: Thanks for listening to Hello Atelier, a production of the Phonicalia Media Network. To see images of Mayiko's work in studio, visit us at helloatelier.org. An easy way to help support this program is to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play and don't forget to tell a friend. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram to see extras from the podcast and to live a little hello atelier every day.